Today, we are going to get real. We are gonna talk about post-traumatic growth. How can we get through this together? What is your new mission of service? The elements of post-traumatic growth can be found in many religions and cultures from all around the world. The academic theory of post-traumatic growth was developed by Dr. Richard Tedeschi and Dr. Lawrence Calhoun. Dr. Tedeschi is a professor emeritus at the University of Carolina in Charlotte. He is a faculty member on the post-traumatic research group and is also a distinguished chair at the Bouldercrest Institute for Post-Traumatic Growth. He joins us today from Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Tedeschi. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. How did you get involved in researching post-traumatic growth? Well, do you want the long story or the short one? <laughs> A little bit of both, I think. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I um, was talking with my colleague at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, uh, Lawrence Calhoun, about... Um, we had a conversation about what we were really most interested in learning as psychologists. And we talked about how we we're interested in learning what makes people wise. So we decided to do some uh, interviews of people we thought uh, might be wise. And we chose people who had suffered physical disabilities in adulthood and done really well in rehabilitation and older people who had been bereaved. And so when we did some research with these people, um, we found them telling uh, stories of, of positive changes that have happened in the aftermath of their traumas. And, um, and so when we um, took a look at all this material we had recorded and uh, listened to these sorts of stories, um, it led us into this whole area that we now call post-traumatic growth. Uh, when we coined the term, it wasn't it was probably about 10 years after we had did, done some of the original work that we we finally came up with a term to describe it. Oh, that's amazing. And was that in the 1980s? Is that right? Yeah, we started this in the mid-80s and uh, published the first book on the, the concept in 1995. Oh, that's amazing. And then what is a core belief challenge? Well, what we, what we had come up with as a definition of trauma uh, was based on some research that some other people had done before on, on core beliefs or what's been sometimes called the assumptive world. These are assumptions we make about what kind of life we have, what kind of people we are, what kind of world we live in that are so fundamental and basic, we hardly even think about them. Uh, and when events happen that uh, challenge these beliefs that call them into question, make us face them and think about them. Uh, those events are, are, we define as traumatic events. What makes things traumatic for people is um, we, we find it hard to understand exactly what's happened. It uh, derails our, our notions about what kind of futures we have, what kind of life we're living, uh, what kind of people we are, what kind of people we're living around, all these sorts of basic things that we just take for granted and don't really question until something happens and we say, I can't believe it. You know, what? what's going on here? Or, I never thought this would ever happen to me. That kind of That kind of feeling about things. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And I think our listeners can relate to that as well. How can the exploration of post-traumatic growth lead people on that process of self-discovery? Well, when these core beliefs are challenged, we've, we've got to do something about it because 
it's it's the basis for navigating our our lives in the world. Um, you know, just getting along and figuring out what to do. So we we've got to reconstruct these core beliefs. And um, one way of thinking about it is if you know if a city has like a like an earthquake happen, uh, and the infrastructure is destroyed, like the roads and the water lines and electric grid and all that, it's got to be rebuilt and rebuilt in a stronger fashion. So when this happens to us psychologically and emotionally, when we have a psychological earthquake Mm. that destroys our infrastructure, like our basic beliefs about ourselves and our lives, we got to rebuild it. We got to reconstruct it. We got to come up with something that will lead us into our futures in a way that makes sense to us. So we go through a process of that reconstruction, which can lead people to living their lives in some ways that are better than before, despite the fact that these things have happened. So it's uh, it becomes a combination of recognizing that you've been through something terrible that you might never have wanted to have happen, but in the aftermath, finding a way into living life that you recognize as better in some ways. And then have you worked with uh, any groups of people with Lyme disease or chronic illnesses? And what have been your observations? Yes, I have. A, I have worked with people. I have at least uh, at least two people right now with Lyme um, that have been suffering with Lyme for quite a while. Um, and other people with chronic pain syndrome. So mm-hmm. um, it's not uncommon uh, for people to come to a psychologist um, struggling with how to manage these things. They're so debilitating and distressing. Uh, so I, I do have some experience with this. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard you interviewed in another podcast, and you stated, what is traumatic is in the eye of the beholder. And what does that mean to you? I know what it means to me. <laughs> well, um, it's hard to judge from the outside how hard things are in people. Um we can make false assumptions about what's really difficult. So I'll give you an example of this that I often use for my own uh, naivete. And uh, one time I remember seeing this fellow who had terminal cancer. And I said to him, I said, this, this, must, have been the hard, this must be the hardest thing you've ever had to go through because he knew he was going to die. And he said, actually not. He said, actually, my divorce was much harder than this. Hmm. And he explained to me, he said, you know, I always realized I was going to die. So this just happens to be the way it's going to happen. Um, it doesn't surprise me, you know, mm-hmm. so this is, this is the way I'm going to go out. But my divorce, he said, now that was a shock. So I never thought I'd ever get divorced. I never thought I'd, I'd be living without my family. He says, that's something I never anticipated. And it was just so hard on me. Whereas this cancer, he said, well, I can accept that I have to die some way and it's going to be like this. Wow. So the cancer did not challenge his, his basic assumptions, his core beliefs. Mm-hmm. Cause he said, Oh, this is how you know, everyone has to die. And this is how it happened. So for him, it was understandable, but the divorce was, was something else. Wow. Do you see similarities in post-traumatic growth across different groups, regardless of what the cause or the event might be? Absolutely. Um, We have found that uh, the process of growth and the outcomes of post-traumatic growth are very similar 
no matter what is the trigger for it. Um, now, that's not to say that everybody shows post-traumatic growth is, is very much the same because their versions of post-traumatic growth may differ from person to person. And we've, um, we've described five different areas of growth that people tend to report. And some people are, are showing changes in one of these areas, some people in all five, all different combinations. So people are different, but the process and the outcomes are very similar despite the kind of traumatic events. And the events can range from, like we we're just talking about, a serious illness, um, the death of a loved one, uh, combat experiences, natural disasters, um, being a victim of crime, all kinds of things. Um, but the, the, the traumatic event is traumatic because it shakes up the core belief system and sets people on a kind of a course of change. And what happens in the aftermath of the, the event is what we are focusing on here. And and the aftermath is bears some similarity, no matter what the event might have been that set things off. How have you seen people survive a health cri- a health crisis or chronic illness and emerge stronger? Well, um, this gets us into talking about the five different areas of growth that we find people report. So, so for example, one area that people report is a change in their relationships with other people, positive changes in their relationships. And and that can happen after a serious illness. For example, if if you are fortunate enough to find people who um, are truly helpful to you, who are understanding um, and provide you support. Uh, and, And it can happen perhaps because of this illness, you, you have to talk to people, you have to tell people about what you're going through. You have to, you want to describe your suffering, perhaps, and it might bring it, bring you closer to people who are good listeners. So it can deepen your relationships with other people, because you're more willing to be open about yourself, because you need some help. And if you're fortunate enough to find someone who's responsive to you, so you can find a a way into a way, a way into a relationship that is, that is, um, is characterized by closer connections or more empathy or um, more appreciation for, you know, how people can be supportive of you. So that's one area of change. Um, another area is appreciation of life. Um, it's where you don't take the small things for granted anymore. You know, when you're, when you're close to losing certain things, maybe you appreciate some small things or maybe um, when you can't do some things that you used to be able to do, maybe appreciate more of the, the things that are left for you that you still can do. So for example, if you know, you have some of the, um, some of the, the difficulties that come as a result of suffering Lyme, uh, maybe you, you have to focus on some, some smaller things that um, you had taken for granted before, and those things become more precious to you. Oh, I really love those examples, especially how it affects the change in our relationships. You know, another another thing that you sometimes see in the uh, aftermath of trauma is a greater sense of personal strength. 
Um, and people say, you know, if I can handle this, I can handle anything. So again, someone with a chronic illness, you know, might come to that conclusion and say, well, you know, I'm going, I'm going through a hellacious experience here, but I am dealing with it. So I must have some real strength to be able to manage all this. So it, more of a recognition of your own personal strength um, may be part of this as well. Um, and then, and then there's two other areas. One is what we call new possibilities. And that is sometimes traumatic events shut down the ways we usually live. And um, we are kind of forced to look at what to do instead. Um, so again, if you have a chronic illness and you're not able to do some of the things you used to do, uh, maybe you have to think of some other possibilities. So for, for example, I was working with a, a fellow who had a, um, had, a, had a couple strokes. He was in his mid-50s. And after his second stroke, and he had rehabilitated from these pretty well. But after his second stroke, um, the doctor told him, listen, you've, you've got an inoperable brain aneurysm, and, and you're not going to be able to do the things you used to do. And um, you're going to have to just kind of shut a lot of things down in your life. You can't raise your blood pressure, you, so you can't exercise like you used to. You can't work in this stressful job you have. And so he basically kind of shut down his life in a lot of ways. He had quit a certain job. He was always physically active and he wasn't anymore. But he said, you know, I've lived life slower and I'll do things now like I'll go around my yard and I'll look at things and appreciate things I just overlooked before. Or I'll sit down and I'll talk to my kids and spend time with them when I would just kind of bypass them before and didn't listen because I was too busy. Um, so these were new possibilities that opened up in his life that he never really paid attention to before. And then a final area we, we found is what we call spiritual and existential change where people face the, the big questions of life, life and death, purpose of life, uh, where God is in their lives, try to figure their way through those big questions of kind of philosophy and spirituality and things like that, that again, um, they're kind of forced to confront when, when life throws them these kinds of miseries that are hard to understand. Is resiliency a factor in post-traumatic growth? It is in a certain way. Um, you know, we're just talking about how, post-traumatic growth comes after a challenge to the core belief system. Um, resilient people have core belief systems that are able to absorb whatever it is that they're going through. So resilient people don't show mo they don't show post-traumatic growth. It's almost like they're sailing through things without too much trouble. Um, but core, uh, core belief systems, uh, produce a, a struggle that leads to post-traumatic growth. So post-traumatic growth is, is a struggle. It's not an easy thing. And it comes because people are really challenged because they've had the psychological earthquake I was talking about. Mm -hmm. so, so as a result of the struggle and the reconstruction of a core belief system that works better, people can become more resilient, but they have to go through the struggle to get there. 
So resilience can be an outcome of post-traumatic growth when you when you have a core belief system that's more capable of absorbing future shocks. Mm-hmm. For our listeners who've, uh, some of them have endured years of pain and illness, are there examples of resources or training that they could go to to learn more about post-traumatic growth? Well, we um, there is a workbook that I've published together with my colleague, Brett Moore. Um, and uh, it's the Post-Traumatic Growth Workbook, and it's available from New Harbinger Press or on Amazon. And what we do there is we just kind of lay out the whole process and guide people through the process, through the workbook. Um, and there's a lot of different exercises in there and things that can allow people to reflect. So uh, that's that's one resource. Um, and then another resource, and this may sound maybe odd to your listeners with, with Lyme disease, but I, I work now for the uh, Boulder Crest Institute for Post-Traumatic Growth, which is a, um, an organization based in uh, Virginia, Bluemont, Virginia, outside of DC. And we serve uh, military veterans and first responders who have suffered trauma. And we have a post-traumatic growth-based program there. If you go on our website, bouldercrest.org, um, we have a lot of resources there, all kinds of videos and things you can read um, that explain post-traumatic growth. And uh, some of the stuff is applied, of course, to what veterans have gone through, but um, some of it's much more general than that and explains a lot of these concepts I'm talking about and, and the things that you can do to help yourself uh, move in a, in a better direction. So between what we have on our website at Bouldercrest and uh, our workbook, the Post-Traumatic Growth Workbook, um, those, are, those are two good resources. And we've also published a book just earlier this year, or, or last year actually now, um, called um, Transformed by Trauma, Stories of Post-Traumatic Growth. And uh, this is, we published this at a Bouldercrest a series of interviews which um, which illustrate post-traumatic growth and family members of combat veterans and combat veterans themselves that we've worked with. So um, those stories and interviews kind of illustrate a lot of the things I'm talking about today. So that's a book meant for the general reader, which uh, explain these concepts of post-traumatic growth in these series of stories. So transformed by trauma. Again, that's you can get that on Amazon. So that's that's another way to, to learn more about this, this idea. Great. Well, we'll post all the links to those on our website. I just want to go back uh, to Bouldercrest uh, Retreat for a moment because I really did learn, you know, I loved learning about the program that you're doing there and how you're serving veterans and first responders. And, I mean, there were a couple things that really resonated there for me. And part of it was how you're working with them to really help them find their next mission and that, yes. the, you know, their next mission being a mission of service. And I also really liked, I took a quote out of there, which was, you know, you just haven't been trained to struggle well. And I think that's such an important reframing in, uh, of the mindset. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we uh, at Bouldercrest believe it's really important for people to uh, find a way to take the suffering that they've been through and to make something of it that benefits other people as well as themselves. 
And I think you do see that in a lot of people who, who suffer from chronic illnesses. I mean, you, you may become more empathic towards other people who have gone through what, what you have and, and want to do something to help other people and make use of your journey uh, so that it's not just yours, that it's, it's more meaningful or purposeful than that. So we help people establish some, some way to do that, either in, in maybe more private ways within their uh, families or with their friends uh, in their neighborhoods, or, or sometimes um, more public ways um, through working in their communities or um, other organizations or even sometimes founding their own organizations. Um, so there's a lot of ways to be of service, but it feels so good when you take something that's difficult and you decide that there's, there's something to this that I can share with other people so that it's not all in vain. And, uh, and then if you still have to suffer through some symptoms and difficulties yourself, you can remind yourself, you know, it's not all for naught. Um, there's something coming out of this that's worthwhile, not only for me, but for, for other people. Wow. You know, the original name for my podcast was actually Making It Meaningful. <laughs> oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. So you get it. You know what I'm talking about. Totally. Entirely. Yeah. Um, do you have any other closing comments for our listeners and their families who might be stuck at home and chronically ill? Well, you know, right now, a lot of people are stuck at home for mm, other reasons, true. right? Yeah, we do have that shared experience, all of us right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So maybe because of that, uh, other people be a little bit more understanding of the situation f- for people who have chronic illnesses. I hope so. I hope but, so. Um, but I think I, I would want you to uh, recognize that there are uh, there are ways that you can take this experience and make something of it, as you say, as, as meaningful or purposeful. Um, and when you find these ways, um, it, it really opens up a, a new chapter in life. Um, you know, we're all kind of writing our autobiographies. We have a sense of how we got to be where we are and the story of our lives and whatnot. And you've got to think ahead to the next part of this story and think about some possibilities where it can be um, positive and even inspiring in a way. Um, And don't let it be just uh, an ending here that has nothing to it but pain. You gotta think ahead to these other possible stories that can represent the, the further chapters of your own life. That is beautiful. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise, Dr. Tedeschi. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. And that was Dr. Richard Tedeschi. That was an amazing conversation, and I really loved the idea of this psychological earthquake that some of us encounter. And then how can we reconstruct this? How can we work through our core belief challenges? Stick with us, everyone, and let's learn how to struggle well together. That's another podcast of Looking at Lyme. I'm your host, Sarah Cormode. Stay safe in the outdoors. Mm-hmm.